From the Folger Shakespeare Library, this is Shakespeare Unlimited. I'm Michael Whitmore, the Folger's director. This podcast is called Bless Thee, Thou Art Translated, and looks at what happens to Shakespeare's work when it's translated into foreign languages. Our narrator is Rebecca Shear. Some creations are so recognizable. They're stamped so thoroughly with their creator's personality or genius or voice that there's never any questions where they came from. You know instantly, for example, that this is Springsteen. Out there in the night of a thousand crimes, people were dying. That this is Raymond Chandler. People were hungry, sick, bored. And of course this is Shakespeare. He that outlives this day and comes safe home will stand at tiptoe when this day is named. But why? Why is this Shakespeare? Or, as Alexander Huang, a professor at George Washington University, asks, What is Shakespearean? And what is the essence of Shakespeare? What are the elements you can point to? Is it a compelling story? For never was a story of more woe than this of Juliet and her Romeo. Is it compelling characters? Here under leave of Brutus and the rest, for Brutus is an honorable man. Is it the beautiful, poetic language? I had rather be a toad and live upon the vapor of a dungeon than keep a corner in a thing I love for others' uses. And how many of these things does a play have to have before you can say, this is Shakespeare? They call me Katharina, that who talk of me. You lie and say, for you are called plain Kate. As opposed to, this is a Shakespeare adaptation. You see that girl? Yeah. That's Kat Stratford. I want you to go out with her. Ajong Kim is a professor of theater history at Cal State Northridge. I don't think anyone has stepped outside to say you have to have this many elements of Shakespeare to be deemed as a Shakespeare adaptation. But what happens when we take Shakespeare outside the countries where he's most familiar, outside the English-speaking world, and begin translating his work into foreign languages? Of course, we all say things like, Shakespeare belongs to the world. Of course Shakespeare is American. He's also British. He's also French. He's also Italian. He's also Spanish. He's Japanese. That's Joe Dowling, artistic director of the Guthrie Theater in Minnesota. Whatever country he's presented in can see a mirror of their own society within his work. But in reality, taking Shakespeare and translating it into a language other than English can alter it in ways that call into question the things we look at to say, that is Shakespeare. This is a film called Omkara, a 2006 adaptation of Othello in Hindi. (laughs) And this is the scene with the rude mechanicals from a stage performance of A Midsummer Night's Dream in Chinese. Or is it? Is it Shakespeare? Is it A Midsummer Night's Dream? It's not in English, after all. And as George Washington University's Alex Huang says... When we translate, it's a huge problem. Uh, You're not going to pretend that you're going to stay true to Shakespeare. There's no such thing. (laughs) What happens, for example, to Shakespeare's poetry? the rhyme and the meter when you translate from English into, say, Arabic or Korean. Here's Cal State's Ajahn Kim. Anybody who is expecting to experience Shakespeare's language 
and poetry will be doomed to <laughs> disappointment. A basic question to ask: Is it important that a Shakespeare play contain Shakespeare's language? If your answer is yes, then you see the problem. And it's particularly acute, Dr. Kim says, when you translate Shakespeare into a language that has no common roots with English. When Shakespeare is adapted in Asian languages, it's often the case that the English language, the poetry, the literary allusions, all of these elements are gone. The risks of violating、uh, the original is far greater with Asians' adaptation effort compared to the contemporary Western adaptations of Shakespeare. It's not just between Shakespeare's English and contemporary Asian languages. Translation always sacrifices something essential. Something essential evaporates in the process. Here's an example. 40년 세월이 흘러가니 이제는 황혼. 행복한 나날 속에 우리는 일심 일혼. That's Professor Chanu Lee of Sun Chuyun University reading his translation, the first ever, of Hamlet Quarto One into Korean. 하나 이제 내 혈관 채우던 젊은 피도 힘없이 달리고 한때는 온갖 노래 가락도. This is a sequence where Hamlet watches a performance of an old play, and in this section, Professor Lee was unequivocal about making sure the words rhymed in Korean in the same places where they rhyme in English. But listen to what happens when you do that. Shakespeare's original goes like this: Full forty years are past; their date is gone, since happy time joined both our hearts as one. In Korean, it becomes: Forty years have passed; it's now twilight. Living blissful days, we are united as one heart and one soul. Oh, 생각 났다 생각 났어. 황상구전 길었어. 그의 갑옷도 그의 의도도 검은이 암흑의 밤을 달. Or later on, thoughts black, hands apt, drugs fit, and time agreeing. Confederate season, else no creature seeing. In Korean, it becomes dark thoughts, deft hands, right poison, perfect time. Plot is ripe, no one else is seeing. We have to accept the fact that translation sacrifices something essential about the original, and unfortunately, Shakespeare's essential is the poetry. It gets sacrificed, but the ideas, his his profound understanding of humanity, his ability to bring the human experiences of all the characters. And that he crystallizes the human emotions in those characters in the stories, I think, can be preserved and can be actually reconstructed in a good translation. And with the hands of a masterful director, it can be recreated. So the story, and to a great extent, the characters remain. The rest becomes really, really hard. Here's Rupert Chan. Who's translated four Shakespeare plays into Cantonese? The greatest difficulties are classical allusions, puns, and double entendres. These problems can have severe consequences. <laughs> This is Shakespeare's R and J, written and adapted by Joe Calarco, which has been performed all over the U.S. and in London. They took it to Tokyo in 2004. 
In the play, four boys in a repressive Catholic school find a copy of Romeo and Juliet and act it out. As Calarco explains, they start with a fight scene that's loaded with double meanings. The point is, is that they're taking out what they consider the dirty parts, which are his double entendre, sword, weapon. And that was a huge revelation, which I didn't get till we were way into the process when people were seeing runs and nobody laughed. And I finally said, what is how what is this sounding like or what are the words? And then I was told, well, there's no such thing as double entendre in Japanese. Along the same lines, what do you do with Shakespeare's puns? If you decide to keep them, it can require some ingenious solutions. In Hamlet, there's a line where Hamlet talks about Brutus, and he says, it was a brute part of him. Brute is a pun on Brutus. Here's how Chanu Lee handled that. When we translated the pun, we have to consider two aspects. The first one is the sound effect, another is the meaning. So I translate like this. When I say Brutus, this is the name of Brutus. But when I say Brutus, Brutus in Korean, Brutus means swollen. Swollen. See, there's an expression in Korean. When someone's too rash or too tough, you say his liver is swollen. So I translate it. That line like this. Brutus Brutus Brutus's liver is too much swollen. So maybe, as a translator, you've solved the problem with puns and double entendre, or just decided to forget about them entirely. There's also a problem with rhythm. As tough as those other two are, Rhythm is even tougher. Most of Korean Shakespeare just use prose translation because many translators have believed it was almost impossible for Korean translators to translate Shakespearean poetry language into Korean poetry rhythm. But I found it was possible. Of course, Shakespeare wrote verse in iambic pentameter. But iambic pentameter is not something that's possible to do in Korean. Ajahn Kim explains. English is a stress language. The communication relies heavily on the positioning of the stresses. Say important. There are three stresses. Important. Poor has the primary st- stress. M is, has the secondary stress. They don't have that concept in most Asian languages. In Korean, she says, poetry is based on syllable counts. Three syllables followed by four syllables, or four followed by four syllables. That creates the musical rhythm that is necessary to call a writing a poetry. So for his Hamlet translation, Chanu Lee says, I chose the traditional poetry rhythm of 3-4-3-4 three, four, three, four, because the time... To read I'm the pantometer is very similar to the daughter of 3434 rhythm. Just like iambic pentameter, he says, this form of poetry mimics the way a person breathes. Here's an example. To be or not to be, that is the question. But when we translated the advanced to Korean, you know, 사느냐, 죽느냐, 그것이 문제로다. The time is very similar. When Rupert Chan translated A Midsummer Night's Dream into Chinese, he faced the same problem. 
all of the verse lines were in iambic pentameter. So I tried to preserve that. And Chinese is monosyllabic, so it came out, each line is 10 characters. The tone is down, up, down, up, down, up. So try to imitate the original pentameter. A murderous guilt shows not itself more soon than love that would seem hid, love's night is noon. Cesario uh, by the roses of the spring, by maidhood, honor, truth, and everything. I love thee so that maugre all my pride, nor which no reason can my passion hide. So that's eight lines, all rhymed, two by two. And uh, I make it into a classical tank poem with eight lines, but it's one rhyme. And it goes something like this. It seems expected at this point to pull out the old phrase, lost in translation. But according to Alex Wong of George Washington University, that's not the only way to look at the results of all this. You might say that uh, a lot is lost in translation, but a lot more is gained. We've been talking up to now about the problem with the rhythm. He invites you to look at it this way. You will create new rhythms that may echo Shakespeare's, but that rhythm is essentially uniquely German, Japanese, Chinese, Arabic, and so on. Beyond that, he says, some foreign languages, in some circumstances, can give a Shakespeare play even more depth than Shakespeare gave it. It's fascinating to encounter Twelfth Night in Japanese. If ever thou should love in the sweet pangs of it, remember me. Japanese is a language that's more complex than English because it has more than 20 first and second person pronouns. And so to maintain the ambiguity and subtlety of gender identities, often involving cross-dressing in a play like Twelfth Night, is a problem if you want to do it in Japanese. But that problem is also a blessing in disguise because it opens up the play in interesting ways. Think about Viola. Uh, the cross-dressed Viola versus uh, Orson. Orson's comments about love from a male perspective and Viola's apology uh, for a woman's love when in disguise as Cesario. For such as I am, all true lovers are unstayed and skittish in all motions else, saving the constant image of the creature that is beloved. How does thou like this tune? It gives a very echo to the seat where love is throned. Thou dost speak masterly. In Japanese, you're going to have to pick the right personal pronoun that indicates gender as well as the relationship between the speaker and the receiver, um, whether the receiver is your superior or elder, and what, how much respect you are showing. So the language, I think, adds an extra layer of disguise and you know element of masquerading to the play that already has so many layers. My father had a daughter loved a man. As it might be, perhaps, were I a woman, I should your lordship. And what's her history? A blank, my lord. She never told her love. But let concealment, like a worm of the bud, feed on her damask cheek. Of course, all of these problems and all of these opportunities are academic when you're talking about written Shakespeare. After all, there are always footnotes when you're reading Shakespeare. But when an English speaker goes overseas to direct Shakespeare in a foreign language, Alex Wong says that can lead to surprises. It is possible to direct Shakespeare or any theater pieces in a language that you don't know. Sometimes it's eye-opening for both sides. 
That certainly happened for Joe Calarco in Tokyo. You heard about one complication, no double entendre in Japanese. Here's another. The translator said to me, I'm using a more contemporary version of Japanese, which I said, but that I don't understand what I don't understand that. A more contemporary form of Japanese. That's common all over Asia. Of course, in the English speaking world, we're used to hearing Shakespeare and thinking, that sounds old. We don't speak like that anymore. So you'd imagine that when someone translates Shakespeare into Korean or Hindi, they'd write in, say, 17th century Korean or 17th century Hindi, right? Well, no, they don't. Instead, the characters speak like people do today. I think it's more amenable to the modern audience who cannot grasp the classical Chinese. If I used the 17th century Korean language, you know, the most of the Korean audience can't understand. But what do you do if the archaic nature of the language was the point? That's what happened to Joe Calarco. The point of the adaptation was to make it really exciting and sexy and show the lust of it and the violence of it and the hate of it and the love of it, but in this language that we think of as being stuffy. So for them to make that contemporary language seems at odds with that. So in a Shakespeare translation, the language is almost always contemporary. The rhythm and the rhyme of the poetry are gone. The meaning of many of the words has changed. All that may leave you asking, what's left? And in the end, is this still Shakespeare? As you can imagine, that opens up a whole discussion. If you change the words, if you change the illusions, true, it's less Shakespearean. However, I think there is the, the core message does not change. Shakespeare is much bigger than just poetry. What makes Shakespeare Shakespeare is his poetry, his language, and the ideas that he expresses through that poetry and that language. What is it there in Shakespeare that makes him timeless, that makes him so appealing in so many different global contexts? Obviously, it's not just poetry. The most important thing of um, Shakespeare and Tassi is uh, story and then uh, character. I wouldn't say, oh my God, plot. I would say, or story. I would say language. And so it's interesting that they say that's the least important thing. After all, if all you have is Shakespeare's story and Shakespeare's characters without Shakespeare's language, don't you just have an adaptation? Can't a director or theater just invoke Shakespeare to make money? Alex Wong of George Washington University says yes, that's true. And he says there are plenty of people who do that, and not just overseas. Why do we say that the movie 10 Things I Hate About You is our taming of the shrew, the taming of the shrew for our times? It's because the studio consciously packaged it this way. More often than not, they wanted to highlight their affiliation with Shakespeare just to sell the product and Shakespeare sells. Although, Ajahn Kim says, what's wrong with something that just sticks close to Shakespeare? When you think about it, the entire history of human uh, literary artistic output has been a long narrative of adaptations. In fact, translator Rupert Chan points out, Shakespeare's stories themselves are often adaptations. Shakespeare was not, strictly speaking, an original writer. He wrote Twelfth Nights, which was from some Italian story, and the setting was somewhere in Italy, but he wrote it in English. So what's wrong with doing it in China? I'm not doing anything to sabotage the original. I'm only trying to preserve the classic elegance of the poetry. And as for this idea that without Shakespeare's language, it's not a real Shakespeare play, 
Ajahn Kim says that's kind of an Anglo-centric way of looking at things. I teach a theater history survey course, and I teach Greek tragedy, Oedipus Rex, which is obviously written in Greek language. But most of the times, I can only find in the drama anthology books an, a contemporary English translation using modern English language. So why I can ask you the same question? Why is it not important for you, English-speaking thinkers and writers, to preserve the ancient Greek language by using at least medieval English? But you don't do that. Why? It's not going to work. In the end, Alex Wong says, it all comes down to the nature of theater. And the question of what a play is. Speaking of the authentic Shakespeare, we might first ask ourselves, where is Mona Lisa? The Mona Lisa, of course, is in a museum in Paris, and he says if you see a poster of it or a postcard, you know it's just a copy. Now, if we ask ourselves, where is Hamlet? That's a different question because Hamlet doesn't really exist per se in the first quarter or second quarter with the folio, or in the film of Laurence Olivier.、Um, it's in the world. So Hamlet in the world versus Mona Lisa a painting in the museum on stage when it's brought to life, it is alive. It is there. You find the Hamlet in London's Globe in Folger Theatre. We can't really point our finger to any of those and say that's the real Hamlet. Do do the film adaptations look Shakespearean? If you think about Bart Lerman's Romeo and Juliet, you know, set in a fictional Verona beach, but actually shot in Mexico. Yes, the Shakespearean language is there, but do you th- honestly think that DiCaprio,、uh, you know, looks? Authentic?、Uh, I don't even know what authentic means here.、Um, think about Kenneth Branagh's famous Hamlet, four hour long. And wh- what is that film doing? It's 19th century. It's in Blenheim Palace、uh, outside of London. It's not about trying to find the Shakespearean core or essence in foreign Shakespeare. If you insist on that, you might do better. In fact, to sit down and you know at the Folger and read the first quarter or the ni- 1623. The bottom line, he says, is that Shakespeare's work can stand up to the challenge. And Ah Jung Kim says, in our globalized existence today, Shakespeare needs to. In a time when we all draw influences from one another, she says there's not only plenty the world can learn from Shakespeare. But plenty that the West can learn when Shakespeare is translated and brought back for us to see. When the adaptation translation is done and adaptation is made, and the performance travels back to the Western world, I believe that their new interpretation also provides another defamiliarizing Shakespeare to the Western readers who think they understand Shakespeare. So it provides another opportunity for them to see Shakespeare from a different, sometimes strange, perspective. Bless thee, thou art translated. Was written and produced by Richard Paul. Garland Scott is the associate producer. It was edited by Gail Kern Pastor and Esther Farrington. We had help gathering material for the Shakespeare Unlimited podcast series from Amy Arden. The narrator was Rebecca Shear. Shakespeare Unlimited comes to you from the Folger Shakespeare Library, home to the world's largest Shakespeare collection 
The Folger is dedicated to advancing knowledge in the arts. You can find more about The Folger at our website, folger.edu. For the Folger Shakespeare Library, I'm Folger Director Michael Whitmore.